Our reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We want to, if you guys are new here, if this is your, uh, fairly new to this ministry and to this church, we are so thankful that you are here to join us in worship. Uh, especially on a quieter uh, Labor Day um, where, you know, a lot of families are away. But so thankful to celebrate even Labor Day with you, knowing that in light of work, God calls us to rest. And what greater way than to rest in the Lord with his people this morning. We've been going through a sermon series. We're beginning to actually wrap up on what it means to be a Christian. So for the past few months, we've been going week after week, focusing on some of the, the key traits of, of a believer. So we talked about what it means to be repentant, what it means to have faith, what it means to suffer. So this morning, we are going to talk about what it means to have joy. I'm going to ask that you guys pray with me as we dive into this word. Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, for our joy is found in you, for we glory in our Redeemer, in whom we trust. And Lord God, on this day where we are called to rest, Lord God, may we find it in Christ alone, for it is by grace alone and by faith alone, Lord God, we are here freely to worship you this morning. Lord God, as we dive into this passage, uh, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you will use me accordingly to your strength. Lord God, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hand, so use me accordingly. And Lord God, I pray for everyone here this morning. Lord God, may our hearts uh, be receptive to your word. May uh, your Holy Spirit just fill us, Lord God, so that we can know you more intimately. Lord God, may the gospel be proclaimed. May you, uh, Lord, even for me right now, Lord God, I pray that you will take away all anxiety and all fear, Lord God, for who do I have to fear but you and you alone. We thank you. We come before you. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. For everyone, Christian or non-Christian, one of the most important things in life is one's happiness. But the question is, what's the secret to real happiness? And I think it's an important question to ask, and depending on whom, it's going to be different things, right? For some of us, it may be money. Uh, for some people, it may be success. For the few, it may be fame. For many, it's going to be family. What drives your happiness today? What brings you joy as we try to answer this question, uh, there's a Harvard psychiatrist named uh, Robert Wadinger. 
And he's the director of one of the longest and most complete studies of adult life ever uh, conducted. And he says that he has the answer for us. So through the Harvard study of adult development, what they did was they tracked the lives of 724 men. And year after year, they began to ask these men about a few things. They asked about their work. Uh, They asked about their home lives and their health for 75 years. So what the researchers did, what Wadinger did, was he set up uh, some a survey, uh, conducted, and what he did was that he dove into some personal uh, questions. So he talked about, he asked about the quality of the marriage life. He asked them about job satisfaction and even some of the social activities they partook in for every two years. And for every five years, uh, they monitored their physical health. So they would, uh, uh, you know, that included chest x-rays, blood tests, urine tests, and so on. In all of this research for 75 years, Waldinger said he found the answer. Are y'all ready for this one? The answer is good relationships keep us happier and healthier. And I'm wondering to myself, 75 years, man, I I found that out in like two weeks. But in 75 years of research, they figured it out that it's all about good relationships that will drive your happiness and good health. Now, what I think is interesting about Waldinger's study is that Scripture actually aligns with this truth, that for the believer, for the Christian, Our joy is also rooted in a foundational relationship with God himself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, that's why the Apostle Paul makes it clear that we are to rejoice, for we are in Christ Jesus always. See, the only difference between Waldinger's study and what Scripture has to say is that a Christian's joy is from the inside out. Everyone else's joy is from the outside going in. See, Paul is someone that knows this personally. The apostle Paul, the writer of Philippians, he knows this Paul was once Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians. But what do we see in Acts chapter 9 is that on the Damascus road, he gets converted. He goes from Saul to Paul. He was a persecutor. He now converted to convert others. He ministers. He church plants. But in this call, he lives a life of persecution, suffering, and solitude. And it's here we see Paul in jail, and he's still writing letters. So in the book of Philippians, it is ultimately a book about joy and what it means to have joy in Christ and in him and in him alone. And if he works in our lives for our joy, it is certainly for our good 
it is absolutely for His glory. So what does it mean to have Christian joy? We're going to uh, answer three questions as we study Philippians chapter 2. First, why don't we have joy? Second, how do we get it? Thirdly, where do we experience it? Why don't we have joy? How do we get it? Where do we experience it? First point, why don't we have it? Today, uh, we tend to base our joy in circumstances uh, that surround us, right? Uh, We base it on our job stability. Uh, We base it on our income flow. We base it on the number of kids. We base it on academic perfection. And let me say this, those aren't necessarily wrong things. I actually think those are things that God calls us to do and even calls us to have, but one must question if they are ultimate. So what happens is when we base our joy in circumstances that surround us and we don't get it or whenever we feel like we're losing it, our lives begin to unfold We get a little anxious, we get a little angry, we get a little fearful, bitterness to the core. And that is what Paul is unpacking in verse 14 and 15. Read with me. Do everything without grumbling or or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. See, Paul's choice of words is recalling the wilderness generation of Israel. And what we know about Israel right now is that they were called to be in the wilderness as they make their way to the promised land. But what is the response? It's of arguing and grumbling. It's actually alluding to Deuteronomy 32. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. And we see the words grumbling and, and, and arguing. And what I think the Apostle Paul is trying to say when we look at verse 14 is that it's never just grumbling. It's never just arguing. When we look at verse 14, it's more than that. It is actually a symptom. And it's a symptom of distrust. It's a symptom of a lack of faith. It's a symptom of ones that are wandering and wavering aimlessly in the midst of wilderness just like Israel. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying right now, he's making it very, very clear. Your wandering, your distrust, your disobedience is destructive to the soul. And like Israel in the wilderness, the Christians in Philippi were beginning to come in distrust. Now the question is, what does this have to do with Christian joy? See, true joy, once again, comes from the inside out. But what happens is as circumstances come, we let circumstances dictate who we are and then turn how we act, right? We're always looking for something external to substantiate or give meaning to ourselves. What happens? You start feeding into it. Now you find joy in it. And in typical fashion, once you enjoy it, you want it a little more, Take the love of uh, money, for example. 
So many people chase money because it's viewed by so many as the universal status symbol. People that have it are admired. People that don't are disregarded. Money drives people because it's so universally worshipped. But the funny thing about money is that it's also universally relative. See, the more you have it, that actually it's the less that it's worth. Right. That's why they always chase it, because they never have enough. They always want more. It's the idea of inflation. The more you have of something, the less each one is actually worth. So what happens is if you place something like money as the source of your joy, you will never be joyful because you will never have enough of it. You're always going to crave for more. You're always going to feel enslaved. It's never enough. But rather, when we look at the joy of a Christian, the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate worth, the ultimate value is within us, and it is more than enough. So the Apostle Paul is being very, very clear right now. It's a warning. He's saying, once children of God, God's people with an unspeakable joy in him, but now due to this fall, we are constantly falling into a fallen condition of distrust and disobedience, now finding there the joy in other things that are finite and perishable. So what now? What I love about these verses is that it's actually in the form of an imperative, right? It's a command. Paul is commanding the Philippians. But what I love about this an imperative is not for the sake of becoming a child of God. Rather, it's because you are a child of God, may you live to your call. So what does he remind us in verse 15? That among whom you shine as lights in the world. So how can we shine as light? How do we get our joy? How does Psalm 30 verse 5 become a redemptive reality for us knowing that weeping may stay for the night, but rejoice comes in the morning? That leads us to the second point. How do we get it? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life. In other words, Paul is calling the believer to be steadfast to God's promise. What do I mean by steadfast? Steadfast means to maintain. It means to remain at a place. That when waves come crashing, you in faith live. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says that we have an anchor for the soul. And Paul says, you and I, if you are a believer in Christ, we are called to be steadfast. Paul knows all about being steadfast. This is one of his final letters. Here's the apostle Paul, prisoned. Some scholars go as far to say that uh, death was imminent. But what do we see in the book of Philippians? He is still preaching joy. 
Philippians 2, verse 16 and 17. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service coming from your faith, I am glad. I rejoice with you all. So Paul is making it clear, how do we get joy? It's by abiding in Christ and being steadfast with him. What I love about verse 16 and 17 is that Paul, he alludes his suffering as an offering, a sacrifice in the temple. Now, this expression is commonly found in old Jewish rituals of, of pouring a drink offering to God. All this is is really just a vivid illustration. Right? When you pour out, right, it's kind of saying, God, here I am. I don't have much. My cup may not be overflowing right now, even though I desire it. But what little I have, I give it to you. And what I love about this verse is that this metaphor is bears resemblance of a metaphor used earlier in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. Chapter 2, if you guys want to know more about the person of Christ, it's right here. Verse 7 and 8 says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is true Christian joy. It's the understanding that God becomes in human likeness to give up his joy, to give up his access, to give up the relationship that he has being one with the Father. And on the cross, when Jesus is broken, battered, and bloodshed with nails on the cross, it's a declaration. It's saying that I, Jesus Christ, am giving up my joy, my my happiness, my everything, so that you and I can now have access to the ultimate joy we now have with the Father. See, Paul's joy results from being one with Christ and being poured out to, on to us as Christ emptied himself to uh, obedience until death. And that is why we get to come in joy. We have access to it, and for it is in us. See, in other words, true Christian joy to have it, to really let it reside in us. It's a long and sanctifying process, right? It's never quick, right? It's not just immediate. To know Christ more, to intimately love him, is a process and is sanctification at its finest. It's a slow stirring of the heart, where you know him more through circumstance and in circumstance. It's a long process, and we're called to be steadfast. Let me explain. Uh, You know, about a year ago, I started to grill. 
because I wanted to, you know, really be good at something. I really enjoy food. And, uh, you know, so last year I, I started to grill. And, you know, I thought I did all of the things correctly. So what did I do? First thing I did was, you know, I made sure I got uh, the best Weber grill. I made sure I got the best prime meat. I make sure I got the best charcoal. I make sure I had the best everything. But every time I, I prepared, you know, a good steak, I, I, I realized that it wasn't that good. I mean, it was okay, you know, like if I, like, you know, can say that. Like, no, it was okay. It wasn't great. So I always wonder, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I mean, I'm getting the best everything. I got the best grill. I got the best steak. I got the best charcoal. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm flipping it at the right time, at the right amount of minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm doing good. But every time I, you know, cooked it, and I look, my mom and dad, they low-key judged me like it wasn't that good. But whenever I put it on, you know, it, it just wasn't great. So, uh, you know, I talked to one of my good friends, and he, you know, he's a, he loves to grill. He did it for, like, years and years and years. And, you know, I remember I was like, you know, brother, like, I'm trying to be better, at, you know, with my grill game. You know, I want to be a barbecue grill master. And I said, what am I doing wrong? So, you know, he looks at me, and he's, you know, he looks like he's about to give me a counseling session on, on, on grilling. I'm like, here we go. But he's ready to share with me. And he says, see, the reason, Brian, the reason why uh, 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 it's not that good is you're actually missing one of the most important parts. And he said the one most important part of grilling is the process prior to putting the meat on the grill. And he said, it's all about letting the meat marinate. You got to get the spices ready. You got to prep it well. You got to let the spices that you created, you need to let it marinate. You need to let it saturate. So when it's ready for everyone to eat, that's actually something that you made and is distinct accordingly to what you did. Meaning, what makes you really uh, considered to be a grill master is one that is willing to go through the process prior to the actual grilling. See, in the same way, true Christian joy is a process, and it causes us to be steadfast in faith. It does not come easy. True joy is built in the long haul, where circumstances call you to be marinated, stretched, and prepared so the gospel can penetrate deeper to the soul. Are you with me this morning? See, if you don't know God today, I'm going to say this. The only way you can know is understanding that circumstances may not change, but it's in the suffering, it can be met with joy. It's not in the absence of suffering, but the presence of sacrifice inspired by faith in Christ in your suffering that generates true joy. So recap here, why don't we have it? It's because so we're so easy. We're so prone to wander. Where do we find it? We find it through our steadfastness in Christ. This leads us to the final point. Where do we experience it? Look at verse 17 through 18 with me. 
I am glad and rejoice with all of you. For you too should be glad and rejoice with me. See, it's important to know that the relationship that Paul had uh, with the Philippian church was a deep, intimate relationship. See, the church at Philippi uh, had special significance for Paul. Uh, For Paul, it was actually the first church he founded in Europe. It was the first uh, church where he saw his, uh, someone being converted to the gospel. So what we're seeing when Paul is exchanging letters to the Philippian church, it's, it's not just shallow words, but it's actually going much deeper. It's much more than just in an extended thank you note. It's built, rooted, deep And now this relationship is being built where Paul can share about his joy and says, Philippian church, may you have that joy in Christ as well. What does that teach us about experiencing joy? Experiencing Christian joy is done in community. And it only comes in a community that goes through hardship, counsel, commitment, two-way communication between one another. It means that we are to do life together with one another. And when we do it in faith alone and by grace alone, you and I can rejoice within community. This is important to know. Don't come away thinking at the end of this message, all right, Brian calls us, he says, yo, let's be joyful. So why don't we go out and grab a meal after service and let's just get some drinks. That's kind of true, but that's not the end goal. Because see, that's easy. It's a little shallow. And I don't think Christ, uh, when he talks about being the bride of Christ, I don't think that's what he's actually referring to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this in Life Together. I love this. Uh, I love this quote. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. And you can only celebrate when we together experience suffering to glory. We can only celebrate when we experience humiliation to exaltation. We can only celebrate when we see death to life. The context of this rejoice from Paul is through years of service, suffering, and sacrifice. You know, in what has been a year of both ups and downs, Uh, for me and, you know, for this church in many ways. One of my greatest joys is having the honor of serving with godly men uh, that love the Lord faithfully. And uh, it's interesting, this past week, um, we had the humbled honor of having a meal together. Now, this meal was not just a regular meal. This meal was a very, very, very special meal. See, this meal, as we got back together and started to talk about ministry and praying for church and praying that the gospel would be proclaimed, you know, um, uh, Pastor Donnie and his beautiful wife, Angela, 
uh, wanted to prepare a meal. This was no ordinary meal, my friends. This is probably one of the best meals I've ever had in my entire life. I remember the plate being laid, the, the, the table being laid out. And each was cool, was it had all of this food. And uh, um, what I loved about this meal was that um, Pastor Donnie's wife, Angela, said, I want this meal to really just show that I, I, I care for this church. I care for uh, you brothers, and I'm so thankful uh, in terms of what we've been, that fact that, you know, you guys have been through a lot, and you went through it in Christ alone. So what our sister did was she had uh, uh, our favorite dishes onto this table, right? So we had, well, I guess someone liked uh, 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 fried dumplings, right? And, and let me say this, right? I, you know, we eat dumplings all the time, right? Korean folk love dumplings. Asian folk love dumplings. But this was not like just ordinary dumplings. Like it had like sautéed fried onions on that. I don't know about you. I've never seen that before. And I don't, it just made it real, real good. And I was like, oh, my gosh, here we go, right? A couple of dumplings on the plate, Right? It kept on going, right? I'm going through this table, and I see some uh, uh, this stewed chicken dish. I don't even know what it is, but it was, like, kind of spicy. I started sweating a little bit, but it was so, so good, right? Continuing on this plate, uh, we see this, uh, 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 oh, my gosh, it was so good. It was like this, uh, 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 it was like braised short rib. Um, I think in Korean, they call it galbi jeans, and... Uh, uh, people are laughing because I think I, I said it wrong. I think I do everything in plural when I try to translate in Korean. Um, but, but it was the short rib dish, and oh my gosh, it was so, so good. And then finally, my favorite, my favorite, pork belly. Just simple pork belly. I think they call it sangap saz in Korean, but oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I can't even concentrate right now. I'm, I'm not even speaking of the Holy Ghost right now. I'm speaking of my sin and gluttony. Lord, forgive me. But I, I would, I'm, I'm remembering that meal, and I'm remembering how amazing, how glorious it actually was. Because the main reason for it, after a year of ministry hardship, in that moment, in that meal, we got to rejoice. See, it was in that moment, in that meal, it was celebration. What were we celebrating? We were celebrating Christ, Christ alone. And it was through the suffering, it was through the brokenness, it was through the hardship. We got it all together, and on this one meal, finally, we felt like we got to celebrate. What does that tell us today? Is that... Genuine community of joy is built through steadfastness, is built through service, and it's sacrifice rooted in the gospel. Church, will you consider to dive deeper with one another? Will you be the one to open up your house for a meal? Will you be the one to accept it? Because it's all about experiencing joy within 
community. In the gospel, joy comes from the inside out. Because if the gospel is ultimate, then Christ is your ultimate value. And the other things that dictate your soul, it becomes a little less valuable. For eternal worth is placed on the body of Christ, and when we are in him, it makes us of the greatest value as well. And nothing, and I mean nothing, can ever, ever, ever take that away. Will you consider rejoicing with him and in with one another in the community that goes through suffering, sacrifice? For it is joy that is a distinguishing mark of the community of Christ. John chapter 16 verse 22 says, So with you, now is your time of grief but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy.